This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's involuntary, my celibates? I'm Robert Evans, host of Behind the Bastards, the show where we tell you everything you don't know about the very worst people in all of history. And one of those very worst people in all of history is the person who cut the hair of the dog of my guest today, Jamie Loftus. Hi! Uh, Jamie, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, your dog got a terrible haircut and is, is ugly now. Yeah, I think we can all... I mean, you saw the picture. He looks like Lord Farquaad. Yeah. He used to be one of the sexiest dogs in the game, really uh, getting, and, and it was like, this was the first time that he was taken on a walk and received no compliments because he looks like shit now. He's going to have to, you know, develop a personality. Yeah, he looks like, as you said, an incel, which is why I picked the opening for the show that he, I opened, I, and now I it's love- a perfect circle. <laughs> yeah, he uh, is now going to start really yammering yeah. on about bone structure. Yeah, he's going to rent a van and ram a crap. Uh, that's probably not something worth joking about. <laughs> <laughs> Point is, the Less dog it- looks like shit now. Yeah, the dog looks like shit. But you know, Jamie, because of our our subject for this week, yes. I've learned that if you want your dog to get compliments again, the answer is not to get him a better haircut. The answer is to just simply change all of America's standards towards dog beauty. And today, we're going to talk about the man who can tell you how to do that. Our subject today is Edward Bernays. Yes. Yes. Do you know who Edward Bernays was? No, I'm coming in colder than usual on this one. I'm, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I'm ready. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about Eddie B. Is he hot? Edburn. 
Uh, Sophie, we'll pull up a picture of him, and I'll I'll cue Sophie in on when to show it to you, and you can you can you can give me that judgment. I'm gonna I'm gonna read my little intro first, though. Okay. So, in common parlance, the term founding fathers is applied to the men who literally founded this country, either at the end of a rifle or a pen. And from a literal standpoint, that does make sense. Whatever else you want to say about them, dudes like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin did start this thing we call the United States. But the country they founded only bears a passing resemblance to the one we live in today. So for my money, we should expand our ideas of the founders to include the people who are most responsible for making America into the place it is right now, at this moment in time, for all of the people who live here. And by that measure of the term, it's possible that no single man deserves to be called a founding father of this nation more than Edward Bernays. Eddie liked to be known as the father of public relations, which is only part true. He and another guy named Ivy Lee both have a pretty solid claim on that title. But calling what Bernays did PR gives an incomplete picture of the man's accomplishment. Edward Bernays invented mass manipulation of the American populace to achieve specific ends. And in doing so, he invented modern America. So this is the guy we're talking about today, the first PR man. I mean, isn't just saying you're the father of PR, even though you're not just good PR? It's fucking fantastic PR. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. He's, that's just good spin, Bernays. That's just good spin. I don't spin. have evidence otherwise, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. look it up. I am. He lived to be 103 years old. Yeah, he he never died until he finally did. Like he should have died so much earlier because he was a real piece what? of shit. But he just yeah. kept being alive. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, like the like the toxicity of a person can really preserve you. Well, and he's one of time. these terrible people who like made really good healthcare decisions for himself and was always a very healthy person which are like the worst terrible people like the health nuts who are monsters yeah like when steve jobs is like sloshing his green juice you're like get over yourself yeah it's like because i need to live forever yeah but unlike jobs bernays picked health stuff that actually worked apparently (laughs) (laughs) sick roast robert take that jobs steve jobs and your dead ass all right Edward Louis Bernays was Mm. born in Vienna, Austria in 1891. His father, Eli, and mother, Anna Freud Bernays, came from a middle-class Jewish background. On his mother's side, they were perhaps a little bit above middle class due to a very famous relative, her brother, Sigmund. As in Sigmund Freud, the guy who thinks we all want to fuck our moms. Sigmund Freud is his uncle. Yeah. Whoa. Are they close? Oh, yeah, yeah. They they were fucking tight. Yeah, they, <laughs> they hung were, they out. Fucking. There was actually he helped Freud like get along when he was like older and like was having trouble making money. Like Bernays helped sell Freud's books and stuff over in the U.S. and get wow. him speaking deals and shit. So like they were like like fucking tight. I'm doing the you can't see the gesture there, over I the audio, it. but yeah. I'm doing that that gesture. Everyone knows the tight gesture. I'll vouch with your fingers. Yeah, that's true. That that is. Already deeply fucked. Okay, so yeah. your uncle is Freud. He's peddling all these this weird stuff that I mm-hmm. sort of agree with, but mostly think it's more of a him thing. Freud is always like like the first 20% of everything he says is right, and then he just goes off the rails. Right, and then he where, just starts like, talking about how he wants to fuck his mom. And you're like, yeah. okay, that's fine, but don't pro- stop projecting on the rest of us. Yeah, he's like a guy who's really good at like uh, building roads, but doesn't know where to build the roads to. So he just he just randomly starts making roads in the middle of nowhere, and they lead to cliffs and stuff. That's 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 Sigmund Freud, father <laughs> of psychiatry. <laughs> yeah. Also, a coke addict, and I guess coke addicts really? like blazing random. Tra- oh yeah, he was way into cocaine. 
Um, yeah, super huge into cocaine. The first book he wrote was called On Cocaine, which was about <laughs> doing cocaine. That's where psychiatry comes that's from. That's really, guy. that's yeah. hardcore, and I appreciate him more than I did one minute Oh, ago. yeah, yeah. He's my favorite coke addict that isn't a Hollywood producer. That's a cool, like, that's if some, like a contemporary, like, thought leader wrote a book called, like, Jeweling for a Long Time. Like, that, mm-hmm. man, all right. I'm on yeah, board. Yeah. So he's he's the nephew of Mr. The Cocaine. world's most famous coke addict. Yes. Yeah, slash cool. scientist. <laughs> now, Austria in the 1890s was not exactly the best place and time to be Jewish. Uh, when Eddie was one, his parents moved the family to New York City, where his father went on to become a moderately successful grain merchant. Growing up, Edward's family was not rich, and there were some moments of financial strain when times were tough, but for the most part, they managed an upper-middle-class existence. Now, his father, Eli Bernays, was not abusive or violent to his children, but he was a very German father, and that meant he was seen as more of a force of nature by his kids than, like, a loving and supportive parent. Years later, Edward would write, quote, the household during the day centered around mother. In the evenings and on holidays and Sundays, my father dominated everything and everyone, intimidating all of us with his unpredictable temperament. My earliest recollection of him is that of a heavyset man leaving the house every weekday and Saturday morning for a place called downtown to make money. My mother was constantly on the alert to prevent explosions of father's temper. Cooking odors were anathema. He would sniff the air like a lion when he stepped into the vestibule of the house each evening. If someone had forgotten to close the dumbwaiter and odors sifted up from the kitchen through the house, he would call out and a loud, stern voice, open the windows! My mother would rush to the windows and throw them open regardless of outside weather. I never knew why my father was so obsessed with details. So that's huh. that's his dad. That's how he relate. And it's worth noting, he he capitalizes the M in mother, but does not capitalize the F in father. Oh, another another sick burn from Mr. Yeah, Bernays. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. I, don't, I mean, yeah, it's his dad just sounds like... <laughs> God, mm-hmm. yeah, the force of nature thing, I, it's so weird. I cannot relate at all uh, as someone with a very meek father. Uh, but it seems like, okay, so so his dad needs attention and his mom is terrified of him, and I'm sure that bodes very well for their personal yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, cool. And it, it's one of those things that boded, poor, like this is actually a very German thing. Like the way his right. family worked was pretty normal for German families. A couple of years ago, I interviewed an old guy who had been in the Hitler Youth as a kid and was like 14 when World War II ended. Mm-hmm. And when he talked about his childhood, he made a point of noting that like, you didn't speak to your father directly unless he asked you a question. Like uh, on Sundays when the family had a single egg, his dad would eat the egg and they would all watch. Like you didn't start eating what? food until your dad started eating. Like dad was like the dictator of the family. And this guy was like, that was pretty normal in Germany at the time. It was like a way, like especially turn of the century Germany. I and really, he, like, th- I really yeah. hate that egg thing. That's yeah, it's, the it's worst fucked up, thing right? I've ever heard. That's it's super so- fucked up. And it just like it feels like weirdly symbolic, even if they don't mean yeah. it to be. They're like, "Oh yeah, no, we have to watch Daddy eat an egg." Well, and it's this guy who again like grew up in the Hitler Youth connected uh, the way that like families were structured in Germany to how fascism was able to get such a hold on the country. He was like, oh, "We were already kind of used to this idea because of how we grew up with our fathers." Like that. Anyway, that's the connection this guy made. And, that's and when I read why about Bernays, it sounded the same. Daddy eat an egg. 
Never watch your father eat an egg. That's why you never do it. My dad and I used to do this weird egg thing, but it was I I it wasn't like that. It was like my dad and I used to do this weird egg thing. Is a sentence that can go a lot of ways. What if I just What if I chose to just like not get more specific? I'm like, anyways, back to Edward Bernays. Me and my dad used to do this weird egg thing. We used to do this. This we used to eat and well, we would each have an over easy egg. And then we would time, we would both swallow the yolks whole, but at the same time, and then we'd high five. That's horrible. Is that German? <laughs> that's that's the that? worst story I've ever heard, Jamie. <laughs> it was I'm, really fun. <laughs> I'm making the, the, the rule right now that if anyone listening to this ever sees their father eat an egg, start pelting him with rocks. No more fathers are allowed to eat eggs You're in enabling front of fascism if you watch daddy eat yeah, an egg. Yeah, Stop. Your parents, you're just your dad from eating just eggs. I guess it's fine for your mom. Your mom unless can that go gets nuts. creepy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm going to read another quote Bernays wrote about his dad. Cool. My sisters and I stood in awe of our father. We observed silence in his presence until we were addressed. When he left the house in the morning, he called goodbye to us from the hall. We then ran from wherever we were and pecked a farewell on his bearded cheek. After dark, he returned. I saw him for a few moments after supper before I was sent to bed. He occasionally raised his voice to us in commanding tones, which had the shock effect of a New York traffic cop on a timid motorist. His awesome personality made corporal punishment unnecessary. So... He doesn't get hit at all by his dad. There's no right. no abuse, but it's like this is the strictness of the family he grows up in, and Edward hates it. Like, he really doesn't like his parents' relationship. He doesn't seem to like the way his dad does things, and he grows up wanting to live a life as different from the life his parents lived as possible. That's like an early Fair. motivator for him. Yeah. Fair. So, I, wonder what, I wonder what old Sigmund's making of this marriage. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't think I have. I, I didn't come across any evidence of Sigmund psychoanalyzing his own nephew. Um, he probably seemed mostly about worried fucking. about money. Yeah. yeah, probably just something about fucking. Should have fucked your mom, kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> if you fucked your mom, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Classic Sigmund Freud. <laughs> <laughs> Always telling kids to fuck their mom. So. Uh, Eli wanted his son, Eddie, to get into agriculture and pick a career that was in line with the family business of selling grain. But Eddie had zero desire to do anything even vaguely related to agricultural work. He graduated from the Agricultural College at Cornell University in 1912. Uh, so he was, he, this is something that everyone listening should be able to identify with. He was like a, yet another middle class kid with a degree in a field that he didn't want to work in, uh, <laughs> like half of my friends. Uh, yeah. He worked for a brief time decoding cables about the grain trade and living off of dad's money in New York until one day in December 1912 when he wound up meeting his old friend Fred Robinson on the morning trolley. Now, he and Fred had worked on the school paper back when they were in high school, and now Fred's dad had handed his son control of two academic journals he happened to own, the Medical Review of Reviews and the Dietetic and Hygienic Gazette. Fred asked his old friend Eddie for help in running both papers. Next, according to The Father of Spin by Larry Tai, quote, They use the medical review to argue against women wearing corsets with stays and to encourage shower baths. They published expert opinions on health controversies, a relatively novel approach. And they tried something even newer to promote the journal and its advertisers, distributing free copies to most of the 137,000 licensed physicians in the United States. Huh. So, Eddie gets, like, a chance to break into publishing and immediately is this guy with new, fresh ideas that nobody had thought of before. That sounds generally um, positive. So far, yeah, yeah nothing, just nothing stop bad. Stop putting women in cages and let them take a mm -hmm. shower every once in a while. 
Yeah, he is Eddie Eddie Bernays is a feminist icon, by the way. Wow, interesting. Yeah. yeah, he is. He's a weird feminist icon and a problematic one, but credit where it's due, he was like an early guy being like these 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 chest prisons we put women in aren't are seem like a bad idea. Perhaps they'll get angry. Maybe they're uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's I mean, I guess that's the least you can do with a with a medical journal. They're just like, mm-hmm. "Hey, stop putting your wife in prison." Yeah, don't imprison her lungs in a cage. All right, now, I'm, I'm on I'm on Team Eddie so far. Yeah, yeah, we're all on Team Eddie so far. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, about two months into his new job, Eddie Bernays came across a review written by a doctor about a play that was just now starting to take off in New York, or that had just been written. It hadn't even performed yet. And the play was called Damaged Goods. Mm. It was about a man with syphilis who gets married and spawns a syphilitic child. Oh now, God. this is about the most risque subject you can imagine at the time. People in 19... 19- 1912 did not talk about STDs in like any context. Like doctors didn't like talking about them. No. Um, so the play both dealt with the subject frankly and dealt with the common remedies people attempted to use to deal with the illness. So it was like like a groundbreaking thing that you would like discuss STDs at all in a popular play. It's the rent so, of its time. Yeah, it was the rent of its time. Exactly. It really is like it kind of in like, line yeah. with that. Yeah. So Eddie and Fred published that review, but decided that just like publicizing the play itself wasn't enough. So Bernays reached out to a guy named Richard Bennett, who was a popular actor who'd expressed an interest in taking part in damaged goods. And he told Bennett, quote, the editors of the Medical Review of Reviews support your praiseworthy intention to fight sex pruriency in the United States by producing Bruce play damaged goods. Ooh. You can count on our help. So... Because of his really traditional upbringing and, like, how how kind of cloistered his family life had been, Eddie grew up wanting to, like, break as many taboos as humanly possible. And damaged goods gave him a perfect opportunity to do this. So he attached himself and the Medical Review of Reviews to the project as a sort of proto-PR firm. His plan was to essentially gain funding to produce the play— um, and to get people to go to it and make it a financial success, success by turning the play into a cause celeb, uh, where basically, like, he was, he was f- f- staging this, like, if you go to this play, you're fighting the cause of pruriency. You're, it's like, fighting prudishness. Rent. Yeah, yeah, it's literally rent. <laughs> so yeah. weird, where people are like, yeah, I helped. I've seen rent before. Yeah, Whoa. yeah, I, I helped raise awareness of AIDS by watching this play. That's exactly the same thing Bernays is having people do, but in 19-frickin'-12. Yeah. Damaged Goods yeah. Unrelated is just a, a great name for anything. I would see anything it called is. Damaged Goods. I would see anything called Damaged Goods, yeah. Even yeah. if it was, it kind of sounds like a hair band. I would still see it, though. I would see it if it was a movie starring Jeremy Renner. Uh, <laughs> and I'm I'm not a Renner, a Ritter fan. But you're not, uh, you're not a Jeremy Renner fan. I'm I, not a I'm not a Renner stan. Yeah. Oh God! Didn't he like try stand up or something? He's like tried stand up and he hates women. Love that for him. I don't know. That's most. But he, but he is. <laughs> I I saw one picture of him from the new Avengers movie, and I thought that guy looks like damaged goods. There, it's when true. He had, when he had that, the giant samurai tattoo on his arm, that's some damaged goods the right face there. Of, that's the face of damaged goods. Yeah. yeah. Jeremy Renner with a giant samurai tattoo. There was a brief amount of time where both Jeremy Renner and Anne Heche were like hitting up bar shows. That it was just like, can you get out of here? Like, go get, 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 especially that's, canceled. Cheer. 
I don't know. I, I think Jeremy Renner was born canceled, and that's what gives <laughs> him his great power. Born to be canceled will be the name of my next play. That's his other arm tattoo, his second <laughs> sleeve. <laughs> so Edward Bernays formed the Medical Review of Reviews Sociological Fund Committee at age 21. Uh, and like the Sociological Fund Committee was essentially like the organization he made to fund the, the play, Damaged Goods. So he raised money from people like John Rockefeller and the Vanderbilts in order to put on the show. His plan was wildly successful, and the Sociological Fund Committee raised huge amounts of money. Damaged Goods was a hit, and it inspired Bernays to launch a series of other plays aimed at exposing other outre aspects of society. Ooh. Drugs, white slavery, anything that stirred controversy. After tasting success for the first time in his life, Eddie took the opportunity to travel to Austria and visit his famous uncle Sigmund. They talked and walked and traded ideas about the functioning of the human mind. When Eddie got back to New York in late 1913, he'd become obsessed with his uncle's idea about how unconscious drives from childhood impact the way people behave as adults. Bernays realized that if he could figure out what unconscious drives motivated people, he could manipulate those people on a massive scale. So he starts with like, I'm going to get people to see this play about syphilis by convincing them that it's like an act of, like a humanitarian act to watch this this piece of entertainment. Right. That's successful. So he starts doing it with other things, drugs and white slavery and stuff. And he's really just titillating people, but he makes them feel like they're accomplishing something. And he realizes that like, He's tapped into some sort of drive people have to do better. So then he goes to One Austria, of my talks least to his uncle. Favorite sneaky yeah. things. They're just like you're super woke, but what you don't know is that I'm taking all of the money. Like you're yeah. just like, gee, okay. Well, that's Eddie, exactly you're what he's losing doing. me, babe. You're losing yeah, well. me. So his first project after getting back was a comedic play called Daddy Long Legs, which basically seems and to I'm have back. been and I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're back on now. Well, I've gone it, for a it... second. The descriptions of of it make it seem like it's just like almost a shot for shot rip off of Little Orphan Annie. Like the plot is literally I that a poor it. girl comes up from the street and gets adopted into wealth and privilege. Um, Why is so it called Daddy Long Legs though? I don't know. Probably for some weird aspect of nineteen twelve, like thirteen vernacular. Um, <laughs> Now, you may notice that the idea of a ripoff of Little Orphan Annie, that's not at all risque. It's not like syphilis or white slavery or anything like that. No. Uh, so how is Eddie going to make people feel like going to this show is activism if uh, if it's just about some, some poor kid getting adopted by a rich guy? I don't know. All right. Well, oh, he no. found a way. Okay, yeah, good. he found and a is way. It, is it Freudy? Uh, eh, a little bit. Okay. Basically, he 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 uses it as an excuse to launch like a uh, a charity campaign aimed at encouraging adoption. So like this is like he he he's like okay th this play itself there's nothing risque about it. So I can make people feel good by making them feel like buying tickets to this is supporting the cause of getting poor kids adopted by rich kids okay. or rich parents and stuff. Um, so he forms groups on college campuses and high schools to raise money that's aimed specifically at getting like private middle class and upper middle class families to take in orphans. Um, okay. One of the colleges he goes to is Vassar. And he arranges a meeting with some influential undergraduates and gets like a writing in the uh, the front page of a couple of newspapers. 
Um, but they only donate about 15 cents of money, which is fine. He's not actually trying to raise money for anything. Yeah, There's no matter. actual he charity here. He just wants to be able to say, Vassar supports this charity campaign. He's a messy which they bitch didn't. who loves attention. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Vassar gets really pissed at him, but the, the stories are already on the front page. There's no there's no turning it back. So, like, Sick. this is the tactic this guy invents, um, which is, you may recognize as familiar with the way things work today, sort of. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's 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 a a a, a trendsetter. Uh, he's 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 established like the way PR ought to work, where it's like I want to make it seem like these fancy institutions support what I'm doing. So I'm just going to take a picture with a couple of people there, and folks will read between the lines and assume the college supports what we're doing, and assume there's a real charity, even though there's not at all a real charity, and no kids are getting matched up with rich parents. Right. So he's a, he's a genius. Woo. Now. Yeah, cool guy. At age 23, Edward took on his biggest client yet, the Russian Ballet. Now, this was a particularly tough task, since macho American men had little inclination to watch a bunch of Europeans in fancy tights bound around on stage like a bunch of fairies. Ballet was seen as effeminate. In order to fight that expression of toxic masculinity, Bernays used another expression of toxic masculinity and published articles in prominent newspapers with titles like, Are American Men Ashamed to Be Graceful? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm back so, again. I, yeah, he's really smart. Yeah, I like, like him. Oh, yeah. fuck. That's, that's yeah. good. I mean, it's just like you just have to make... <laughs> that's such a weird angle to come yeah. out of. Just like, oh, sorry, uh, bro, are you like afraid to like enjoy a gorgeous ballet? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, you can't enjoy the beautiful shape, like the beautiful expression of a man's glorious glute muscles bounding in perfect symmetry on the stage. You don't like position, watching bro. his quads bounce. There, there, <laughs> I like just like the image of an angry bro outside of like a <laughs> ballet theater. Just uh, there, just being like, uh, dude, like, what? Oh, oh, I can't just go out and see fucking Romeo and Juliet with my mm-hmm. friends. Uh, what yeah. the fuck are you talking about? Wow, There's, you're saying it's not manly to enjoy a man's tightly wrapped package as it as it bounds up and down on the stage. Like, or, I can't watch that. Are you are you are you scared of grace? Bro? We're still not there too. I'm just like, why won't my boyfriend go to Phantom of the Opera with me? Why? Why? Well, because the ending's been spoiled. Are men afraid to watch musicals that slap? That's the that's the update. Does Does Phantom of the Opera slap? Yes, it still well, you know, slaps. After you, all you know these what years. else slaps, Jamie Loftus? What you know what you know what slaps <laughs> even harder than Phantom <laughs> I, of the Opera? I see it coming and I hate it. <laughs> the uh, the products and services that support this show and or program. These slaps. These slap like the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> But unlike the Phantom of the Opera, you don't know where this story is going from a lifetime growing up in American pop culture. So this wow, will another hater, another, another hater by not a us. not a hater, but I'm saying like the Phantom of the Opera. We it's... all know how the Phantom of the Opera goes. No one knows what these ads are going to be. True. They could be for a belt company. They could be for Coke Industries. They could be for the Church of Scientology. They could Ooh. be for Blackwater. Like, anything could happen when ads come on. It could be anything. <laughs> that is the beauty yeah. of ads. Yeah. So let's spin the roulette wheel of capitalism and see whereupon it lands. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, 
Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back! Oh, oh my God, what a ride those ads were. I know. Uh, I, I, You know what? I didn't expect it to be a Raytheon ad. Um, but now that it's run, I've been thinking... I really need some new missile guidance systems because yeah. I have I have a lot of Yemen to shoot at. The like, power I, suggestion it, is very strong. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, you don't realize mm-hmm. how many ways there are to kill until you listen to the advertisements uh, on exactly. this show. Exactly, I'm gonna bomb so many uh, school buses in wow. foreign countries thanks to these beautiful Raytheon products. Wow! And and their sponsorship money really keeps the show afloat. So thank you to I Raytheon. Mean, yeah, it's really cool to. Yeah, to finally see pictures of your large mansion that you live in. Yes, yes, built with Raytheon money. Yeah, uh, Shea Raytheon. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough, the main demographic for Behind the Bastards is the Saudi royal family. So oh, they, it, this is really a good place for Raytheon to advertise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get back to Edward Bernays. Uh, who is related to this because he invented advertising in he the did. modern context. Yeah, yeah if he so. revolutionized bullshit. He revolutionized bullshit. So Bernays had realized with his his campaign for the Russian ballet uh, that he could sort of change American uh, opinions about things like European men wearing tights by pushing think pieces into popular publications like Vanity Fair and creating the illusion of a national discussion. Isn't that as crazy? Long as- That's done to this day. Yeah, yeah, it, like he he was the he's the first person to figure it out, and it's completely destroyed our our civil society. It's now. like when they keep do you remember that article that was like, why aren't millennials buying diamonds? Just like starting a conversation <laughs> yeah. that no one was in the middle of. W- meanwhile, the question with all of my fellow millennials is more along the lines of like, why can't I afford to buy my insulin? <laughs> why did I? Why did I go to a dentist who accepts Groupon? That's. Yeah. Not- <laughs> Why are people able to afford a dentist? There, how do I dent? How do I clean my vanity bones without getting a new credit card? Yeah. Did yeah. you know that there are Groupon dentists, Robert? I am not surprised by that. It's a hard industry for dentists. I went to one. Which... She sneezed in my mouth, but I think she the did la- good dental work. The last time I went to a dentist, that that's horrifying. It took me a second to catch up with that. She sneezed into my mouth. She wasn't wearing a mask. Is that what? <laughs> is that was she like those painless dentists? Where like what she brags about is I'm a maskless dentist. Anything could happen. Yeah, mask off, bitch. It's, she, it's thirty percent cheaper than the other dentists, but I will get my fluids inside of you. The, yeah, the crazy thing is, I'm pretty sure that the gum procedure itself went just fine. But she she was like talking about Game of Thrones, and she sneezed in my mouth. That's awesome. That's yeah. some solid dentistry. Yeah, I mean, hey, if I had, you know, had I gotten health insurance, had I had it been an option in my life, I wouldn't have this gorgeous anecdote to share with you on this this podcast. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. really, you know, what is dystopia? I don't know. The last time I went to a dentist was when I had health insurance, and it was to get my wisdom teeth removed. And I understood Ooh. then that that was the last dentist trip where I was likely to get hydrocodone. So I just have not been back. Because wow. why would you? Why would you go after that? There, I guess that's fair. 
Mm-hmm. I just, my mouth kept bleeding. My mouth kept bleeding. Uh, oh, it, mouths are meant to bleed, Jamie. There, I was just, <laughs> I was starting to get uh, nervous about how my mouth would bleed in any no. situation. If I started to feel any feeling, my mouth would respond by bleeding. No, if your mouth stops bleeding, that's when you have a health issue. You yeah. want your mouth to bleed all the time. It's well, that's fair. That's mm-hmm, fair. Mm-hmm. It's but if you see enough pictures of yourself doing stand up with your mouth actively bleeding, people start to think <laughs> it's a bit and not just how your mouth is. Well, play it as a bit. Either way, if your if your mouth is bleeding, it means you're drinking plenty of blood, which means you have high iron levels, yes. which is what you need if you can't afford to go to the doctor. I love this spin. You're going full Bernays. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I I really have learned a lot from him. <laughs> So, as the 19-teens rolled on, Edward Bernays was making very good money on the cutting edge of a field that hadn't really existed before he got into it, Mm -hmm. uh, public relations. Tragically, his success did not at all impress his father. Bernays later wrote, quote, My father's attitude toward my activities remained less than lukewarm. He was disappointed that his son had turned press agent. He enjoyed good theater and concerts. To occupy an orchestra seat at a performance was one thing, but for his only son to make a career of the theater in daily contact with actors and managers was something else. He's the like, open the window! <laughs> yeah, open the window. Get this actor stink out of here. <laughs> Yeah, he thought his dad thought actors were gross, and he thought it was gross that his son had become basically a press agent for uh, the theater. I mean, wouldn't you feel the same way? Yes, I hate the theater and all people who are involved with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a reasonable way to feel. Yeah, get 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 in TV like every self-respecting actor, <laughs> fucking board trotting. Yeah, where's your? I don't, is he in SAG? Yeah. Then I'm not fucking interested. Yeah, he's he is older than SAG, I suspect. Now, when World War I kicked off in August of 1914, it was, you know, probably the greatest calamity in human history. Whole nations in the continent of Europe were utterly ruined by war on a scale never before imagined. Luckily for America, and for Edward Bernays, it also meant an opportunity to get into some new business. For America, that new business was mass arms sales. For Edward, that new business was convincing Americans that getting involved in a European war was a good idea. Now, this is going to be hard to get your mind around, Jamie, but there was a time when Americans thought going to war in foreign countries was a bad idea. Oh, see, I, that's not something I feel like we can relate with in our lifetimes. No, 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 it okay. was not. So, Okay, Daddy Long you know, Legs, how's, how's he yeah. going to do it? How is Daddy Longlegs going to do this? Well, his first big idea was to get out an article in the magazine Musical America, urging musicians to help America get on board with the war by having singers perform songs about the U.S. military whenever they performed at clubs. So that was, is you know, they can't all be great home runs. <laughs> that, is, that is one thing that seemed to used to work in this country that I yeah. truly can't understand. Like hearing, even like post 9-11, I'm like, this... This, really? You know, I it actually did work in 9-11. I grew up in a conservative household, and I heard that fucking, well, I'm proud to be an American, <laughs> where at least I know I'm free. I heard that fucking every week of my life in the run-up to, like, the Iraq War. Yeah, oh, good. Like, yeah, that was, that was, like, the theme song of we're going to... <laughs> the soundtrack like, yeah. of we support this horrible war. Yeah, yeah, that was... And my parents were very moved by it, Especially after 9-11, thought it was the most profound song they'd ever heard. It was, uh, so yeah, I guess maybe that wasn't a dumb idea. It probably worked really fucking well back then, and it worked really fucking well in 2003. Oh, so, Bernays. 
Yeah, yeah. He was a fucking trendsetter. Yeah. So <clears throat> eventually, Bernays' work earned an interview with the Foreign Press Bureau, who were the United States' proto-propaganda agency for the U.S. military at that point in history. Um, they were worried about hiring Bernays because he came from Austria, and they thought that might make him not loyal to the United States. But eventually, they, they grew convinced that Bernays you know, was really a company man, uh, and they gave him a chance to serve the war effort directly. Like they're like, no, no, no. He's a relentless capitalist. He yeah, he is. He's he is on board with capitalism. <laughs> We're good. We're good. Yeah. I'm going to quote again from the father of Spen. Cool. Quote, finally given his chance to serve, Eddie recruited Ford, International Harvester, and scores of other American firms to distribute literature on U.S. war aims to foreign contacts and post U.S. propaganda in the windows of 650 American offices overseas. He distributed postcards to Italian soldiers at the front so they could boost morale at home, and he planted propaganda behind the German lines to sow dissent. He organized rallies at Carnegie Hall featuring freedom fighters from Poland, Czechoslovakia, and other states that were anxious to break free of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. In short, he helped win America over to an unpopular war using precisely the techniques he'd used to promote Daddy Longlegs and the Russian ballet. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's moved on from ballet to <laughs> the, the First World War. Well, he's going to have to. quite a jump. <laughs> there, I never overestimate the, the confidence of a random guy. Yeah. He's like, well, I successfully promoted Daddy Longlegs. Better try to like McFuck the world up. Okay. Yeah, it's one of the. You, you, I I know the thought went through his head at some point. Like, if I can put asses in seats on Broadway, <laughs> I what can put doughboys in trenches in the Western Front. <laughs> wow. I well, I, there's there's no bouncing back from this, and it no, worked. No. It, it was. It worked. Yeah, yeah, worked. yeah. He was he was an integral part of winning uh, the American people over to World War One. Um, I mean, which, there's really appealing to the power of FOMO is is powerful yeah. for anyone. They're just like, are you serious? Like, people are, there's shit happening well, over here. It, it's one kind of dumb to be a European in 1914 and think like, oh, this war is going to be awesome. We got to get into it. Like, everybody wants a little bit. It's going to be over real quick. Like, I want to have a part in it. I want to have a chance to be a hero. Yeah. That's one kind of dumb. And it's an understandable kind of dumb if you know European history up to that point. Right. It's a whole other kind of dumb to watch three years of unspeakable slaughter in the trenches of Western Europe and be like, yeah, we, we should really get in that. Like, this, this seems yeah. like it's going to be a great thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's hop on board this train, guys. But it does, but Seems it does like it's, work. It does work. It does work. Uh Imperial Germany is defeated, thus ensuring peace in Europe forevermore. Um yeah. I haven't read any European history past nineteen eighteen, but I think it I think it I think it went pretty well. It's kind of that. a happily ever um, after kind of deal. Yeah, seems like it. Seems yeah. like it. So there's an extent to which like obviously uh, american involvement in the first world war is one of those things that set off a chain of events that you know made the rise of nazi germany inevitable and you can't blame edward bernays for that um he was he was doing what he thought was best uh what you can blame him for is his work in the tobacco industry which ironically oh, would wow. go on to kill more people than his work selling america on world wars but yeah, first it's so oh. wild that you know like his dad yeah. could have just been like i love you yeah <laughs> his dad actually did say that a lot uh because we have some letters between them it seemed like his dad could only communicate emotionally with his son through letters that they wrote each other Aww, but his dad was nice. also like 
really insistent that his son get into agriculture, which I guess maybe he was right about it because yeah. Seems kind instead of like Edward Bernays thing to do. Yeah, that'd be fun. I, I wish. I, I'm glad I wish that he people... picked that career. Yeah, I was like, I mean, I guess he, the world might be better off if he had done that. I wish that yeah. fathers were still pushing their kids to do the same shit as them. That that's what a what a fun what a fun trend that was for most of human history. I mean, I say that like I make fun of that idea of like dads like like pushing their kids to the same thing they did. But I wound up completely accidentally in the same career field my dad was in without ever meaning to because he was a radio guy for 30 years and now look at look at fucking me. Look at you, you're <laughs> right? in your goddamn microphone in your Raytheon mansion. And in here my I Raytheon am. mansion. I, I'm also reporting on the Boston Bruins for a local paper. You can't oh, escape wow. it. You can't escape it. You can't it. escape it. Yeah, genetics is destiny. Um, <laughs> except for Edward Bernays, yeah. uh, who instead of farming tobacco, just sold it to millions of Americans. Mm. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, Jamie. But first, I feel like we should have a little detour and talk about Edward Bernays, feminist icon. <gasps> Wow, this is yeah. Uh, this is this is my content. Okay, great. You ready? You ready? Okay. I'll be the judge of that. So, Bernays was a long-standing women's rights advocate uh, and was well ahead of his time on just about every gender issue. He, you know, supported women's suffrage before women could actually vote. He and his wife Doris Fleischman got married in 1922 after a long lingering courtship. Uh, when Edward had opened his first independent company, which he called a publicity direction office in 1919, Doris was his first employee. Ooh. They fell in love, but were so focused on avoiding what they saw as the mistakes of their parents that they kept their relationship hidden for years. Eddie's sister actually had her husband adopt the Bernays name when they married so that the family line could go on because she was that convinced that her brother would never marry. He was like kind of like a hippie sort of dude where he's like, we're not going to get married. We're going to do like... You know, the, a different sort of relationship that that nobody else in America is is on board like doing yet. So he was like, like ahead ahead of his time on that. Um, now on paper, the union between Doris Fleischman and Ebby Bernays seemed like it was like the wokest one in history up to that point. They got married without a wedding ring. They did not inform their parents. Uh, and, you know, right. back before the wedding, they'd both joined something called the Lucy Stone League, which was an advocacy group dedicated to fighting for women's right to maintain their maiden name and not change their maiden name after marriage. Wow, that's so and cool. That is cool and true to their word. After their marriage, Doris kept her maiden name. When they signed into the hotel where they would spend their wedding night, she registered for the room instead of Eddie, and she registered under the name Doris Fleischman. This was the first time any woman had ever done this in American history. And, like, to give you an idea of where gender relations were at the time, multiple major national newspapers reported on the story of a woman signing in for a hotel under By her maiden herself? name. Wow. <laughs> there were headlines like, this bride registers under her maiden name All and just independent with the exclamation point. Yeah, it's wow. like... So that's where we are at this time. Uh, but you know, Eddie Bernays is uh, is and he and his wife like are uh, uh, fucking trendsetters here. That's um, oh wow. I mean, talk about multitudes on Mister yeah, Bernays. Yeah. His friends must have thought he was such a cuck. That's funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. man, good for him. Well, that's something. That's not nothing. It, that's not nothing, and he was, you know, in the 1920s, was an advocate of the idea that housewives deserve to be paid by their husbands, because he believed they were Ooh. doing 
Yeah, yeah, real work and that they ought to be compensated for it. Yes. Um, and because he and his wife were business partners, he split the revenue from his agency with his wife evenly. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were equal partners on paper, at least. So his wife. Yeah. His, his is she wife. hot, Sophie? There is she hot. Wait, we got to look him up. <laughs> yeah, we got to look him up. We got to we got to reduce Fleischman. Doris Fleischman women's rights I pioneer sh- to is she hot? I should have said earlier, uh, I don't think Edward Bernays is hot. His head looks like a cube. I would not call him hot. His, his head wi- is a cube. His wife is beautiful. Wow. Yeah, lovely okay. lady. Lovely yeah, lady. you do what she says, cube head. Mm-hmm. So, well, actually, see, this is where it gets kind of fucked up. Oh, no. Um, so, I was Jamie, the nice friends. It, it's uh, <laughs> this is a complicated story okay. because everything I've just told you is true, oh, but it like, leaves I just out. Made that up. <laughs> yeah, it leaves out an important aspect of the story, which is what Doris herself actually wanted. So, <laughs> what I'm going to quote again from the book, The Father of Spin. Quote. Okay. Doris also was a pioneer for women's rights, but winning the right to use her maiden name wasn't one of her proudest achievements. Eddie admitted it was he who'd insisted on their joining the Lucy Stone League, bringing a reluctant Doris with me, and it was he who pushed her to use her maiden name on their wedding night, because I had an inner fear that marriage, though I wanted it fiercely with Doris, would take away some of my liberties as an individual if there were a Mrs. added to my name. So... Uh. Years later, Doris actually would adopt her husband's last name as she'd apparently wanted to do all along. She never, it it was, it was played as this big gesture of an independent woman making a strike for women's rights, but she actually really wanted to take Bernays' name and he wouldn't let her. So, yeah, (laughs) it's kind of, it's, it's, it's fucking complicated, right? Like that's that's some. Extremely weird. Yeah, that's I mean, some shit. Yeah, it just does sort of ring as like, yeah, whatever his fears are, compounded with the fact that this all got them press every time they would do mm-hmm. something that was a hashtag feminist win. Yeah, that is so. Oh, that's like so many levels of like, yeah emotional fuckery, <laughs> where. I don't know. I'm like, I'm just picturing these gaslighting sessions of like, are you telling me I'm doing something bad? It's like, yeah. no, no, but like, no one ever, Doris, God. It's so complicated. That's, yeah. The only woke so, man is also a fucking dick. Ugh. Yeah. It's, it is the 20s. <laughs> it is the 20s. God, so, imagine the cube I, I head telling you what to do. Ugh. Yeah. For 58 years. Yeah. I mean, she's, she, she expressed happiness in their relationship. Uh, Doris Fleischman was a legitimate uh, pioneer of women's rights. She worked in journalism long before that was common, mm-hmm. and she was a huge part of her husband's groundbreaking PR work. Uh, but in spite of his insistences that theirs was an equal partnership, Bernays always focused on the Bernays name in their work and downplayed his wife's involvement in it during the decades where that was a hindrance rather than an asset. Doris was expected to maintain their home as well, like any housewife of that era, but because Eddie was so woke and uncomfortable with the idea of having his wife do housework for him, she spent most of her life rushing to and from their home ahead of him to ensure that the house was in order and to also ensure that Eddie didn't see her putting the house in order. Anne Bernays, their daughter, later said he wanted her to be a feminist outside the house, but inside he wanted her to be a Victorian wife. 
Ha ha. Now, that's yeah, that's still that still happens. That's like yeah, I yeah. would say a solid twenty five percent of men who own uh like the future is female shirts are like still pieces of shit and like expect too too much uh from well, good to know. Good to know. Yeah, he's the God. original beware the woke man sort of stereotype. Yeah, like the and- guy who brags about being woke is usually Quite dangerous. Yeah. Uh, yeah he's like, yeah, who is that yeah. guy from? Who's that guy from Orange Is the New Black who like wouldn't shut up about how woke he was for three years, and then everyone just stopped casting him, so he'd shut the fuck up. He's like that guy. Someone. I don't. I don't know who that guy is. His name was Matt, and he I'll loved tell to you. be shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll say for my own part, the only thing I'll brag about is accidentally drunkenly vomiting on people that uh that I'm I'm close to because <laughs> because I I Jamie am a true yes. hero. Um, you are you are now, the true wokeman. Thank you. Thank you. And and who being among woke us is the true wokeman? The the person who has a problem moderating his intake of intoxicants and has ruined many a shirt from his friends. Sick. <laughs> Matt McGorry, that was that was Mr. Woke I was thinking uh, of. Is that the guy? Yeah. The shirtless woke man? Yeah. The, oh, okay. God. So gross. Well, shirtful woke man, Eddie Bernays. Cubehead. Oh, cubehead. When Doris died in 1980, a professor named Susan Henry was inspired by the obituary Edward Bernays wrote about his wife and you know, inspired her to write a book about Doris Fleischman and several other female pioneers. The book is titled Anonymous in Their Own Names, which is a solid fucking title. Mm-hmm. Uh, professor Susan Henry reached out to Edward Bernays, because he was still alive, about writing this book that would feature his wife heavily, and he was enthusiastic his in his desire to help Susan and to talk up the economy accomplishments of his deceased wife. As Susan dug more and more, though, and talked to the Bernays' daughters, she came to very critical conclusions about Eddie. And I'm going to quote from her book now. After visiting him in March, I finished writing a paper about Fleischmann that was accepted for presentation at a national conference. I sent him a copy nervously, though, since the paper's theme was his dominance of her at home and in the office and her lack of professional recognition. Once again, he surprised me. I have no criticisms whatsoever, he wrote to me after reading it, except possibly one slight point. I had overplayed her invisibility, he thought, and not been sufficiently mindful of how their business would have suffered, quote, if we had publicized a woman giving advice to men. This was not a slight point at all, but he was willing to treat it as if it were, and to invite me back. So again, that's Eddie's justification for why he didn't give his wife the credit and she deserved while they were actually doing the work and waited until decades later when women's rights was in vogue. That's certainly spin. Yeah, he's the dad of spin. Yep. Big Papa Spins. Jesus. Now, Edward continued to work with Susan on her book in spite of the fact that her work both revealed the great role Doris had played in his innovations, which meant less credit for him. Mm. This might seem to be somewhat to Eddie's credit as a human being and evidence that he was a man capable of seeing his own past flaws and acknowledging them in the harsh light of the historical record. But it's worth noting that Edward's own daughter, Anne, did not take this charitable view of her father. Quote, when I asked Anne Bernays why she thought her father was so helpful, even though by telling Fleischmann's story, I was undermining the sole credit he had received for their work, she reminded me that one of his favorite phrases was reflected glory. I was showing his good sense in choosing her mother as his partner. She explained, you're flattering him. I later realized that the timing of my research added to the flattery. In contrast to the anti-feminism of the 1950s that made it a problematic time for Fleischmann to disclose much about her career in A Wife as Many Women, so she barely mentioned it, 
the feminism of the 1980s and 1990s made this an excellent time for Benet's to call attention to her career. He was willing to take less credit for their public relations accomplishments if he could take full credit for having been smart enough to marry and form a professional relationship with this remarkable woman. So that's how Eddie Bernays's daughter analyzes everything that went on with I, them, and which I, just, I find very I just, interesting. I realize she's an author, isn't she? His daughter, because I recognize her. I think I had to like read yeah. one of her books at some point. Well, that I mean, that sounds yeah. that sounds accurate in terms of just like I mean, those men are still out there, just like fair, you know, the the fair weather supporter of like when it's I mean this guy just sounds like yeah when it's when he when the world will give you positive attention for being a feminist he's a feminist uh, and then when feminism is out then cool well I hate yeah, him and well, I, I, I hate him he's kind of I the would worst describe kind him as of like man. a yeah yeah I mean he wasn't entirely a fair weather feminist. I got to give him that. Like there were things that he was very outspoken about before it was popular. Like him insisting that housewives get paid was never a popular. Like that's still not a popular. Like, that's cool. Thing to yeah. Be on. No, that is so, cool. I, yeah. And, and he so is the just. I mean, just the general like. Yeah. Even if it's we don't know how genuine it is, but like like the fact that he said like you know women shouldn't be forced to wear corsets like that's. That's good. I like it. But then the fact that his he wasn't actually listening to his wife, uh, kind of really puts a puts a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. About old cute. Yeah, it's f- fucking complicated. Um, yeah. and weird. And uh, you know, why doesn't everyone it leaves have a bad taste in my pure mouth? Intentions, Robert. Why? That's one of those things, like, when we talk about, like, his his reputation or his, his record with feminism, there's a lot to criticize, there's a lot to praise. I wouldn't call him a bastard on that, because it, no. I, I am a big believer in you have to judge people by the standards of the time, and even with all of the yeah. warts on his story, he's still better than the average man for that time on that issue. Well, that's, um, yeah, I, I agree with, like, and yeah. there is something to be said for just being an influential person uh saying something that's not like popular what no matter if it's done even if it's done for pr like it can still be helpful to the world uh well i mean yeah he just kind of sounds like a like a kind of flip floppy but sort of progressive i don't know you know at the end of the day it's complicated sold a lot of cigarettes and i guess i just don't like it yeah and we are going to talk about the cigarettes next because that's yes. where we really get into Edward Bernays, definitely a bastard. Yeah. But before we talk about cigarettes, Jamie <gasps> Loftus. Yes. Let's talk about the fine products and services that Ooh. Raytheon provides. Okay. Products and services like the Hellfire Missile Guidance System, which, <laughs> Jamie, let me tell you, if there's a wedding party in Afghanistan that mm-hmm. you want to blow up, with several dozen pounds of RDX explosives, yes. there is no missile guidance system better than the ones Raytheon makes. Oh, I love it. I'm looking at Raytheon merch on, uh, online oh, yeah. right now, and boy, do they have some graphic design. Yeah, my favorite Raytheon shirt is, I went to an Afghan wedding, and all I got was peppered with shrapnel. There, oh my god. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, can actually I don't know why I decided find... on Raytheon ad plugs today. Yeah, I mean, well, Raytheon, they really need... I just like to say it. I like how it sounds. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Raytheon stan, um, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Products! Products. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. 
Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. 
join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Hi. We're talking Eddie B. We're talking Ed Burn. Daddy Longlegs. The Mr. original Cubehead. Daddy Longlegs. He has as many names Mr. to Cubehead. intro him as like Pitbull. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like in that. fact, uh he and Pitbull are very closely related. That's not true, but let's let's wow. let's see if we can just get that lie to take off. Would Edward Bernays be- would approve of me. Would he be cooler? Line. Would he be perceived as cooler or less cool? The people, does your profile raise if you're related to Mr. 305, Mr. Worldwide, Pitbull himself? No. I like Pitbull. Uh, yes. I like Pitbull, and that's my feminism. No. <laughs> Pitbull, is there anything more feminist than liking Pitbull? Than Mr. 305, Mr. Worldwide? No. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, not at all. Not oh. at all. It's that is the most feminist one can be. Exactly. When we go to war with Iran, we're going to airdrop Pitbull into uh into the country in order to uh to lead a women's uprising against the uh <laughs> the regime. That's that's how that's going to work. It's going to be yeah, the yeah. revolution will be scored to Pitbull. And the revolution will of course be sponsored and supported by the good people at Raytheon. <laughs> Pitbull x Raytheon is, I mean, after Forever 21 x Flame it's and a ma- Cheetos, It's a match made in heaven. We don't know. Yeah. yeah. Forever 21 would oh, do a man. Raytheon line. I believe it. Yeah, I believe so. It's the only one so. they haven't done. Because that's fucking Pitbull branded Hellfire drones. That's that's a great, <laughs> that's a great branding opportunity right there. Mm-hmm. So- we're going to talk about Edward Bernays and the motherfucking tobacco industry. Great. And I, Jamie, spoilers, when I say motherfucking, I mean because his work in tobacco fucked over a lot of mothers. Oh, like, I thought it was another yeah. Freud thing. <laughs> if you know an older woman who died from tobacco, it's Ed or Ed, probably Edward Bernays' fault. <laughs> like, well, that's yeah. not fair because the only you had a grandma woman, who dropped from lung cancer. Yeah, the only yeah. I mean, if, I didn't like my great aunt, yeah. so I guess shout out to Edward Bernays. I mean, then you really she can thank she stole Edward Bernays. A lot of sweet and low packets. <laughs> and Edward Ooh, wait, Bernays on, ensured that there would be more sweet and low packets by taking her out of the game early. <laughs> so you're welcome, Jamie. Yeah, thank you so much. So. World War I was, of course, a huge boon for the concept of smoking cigarettes. Prior to the war, real men tended to prefer cigars or pipes, or if they were baseball players, chewing tobacco. Cigarettes excelled in wartime due to how easily you could smoke them in a trench. They became a standard part of military rations, and hundreds of thousands of American men returned from Europe with a fun new addiction. In 1928... Edward and Doris's PR firm was contracted by George Washington Hill, the head of the American Tobacco Company. Mm. Hill's goal was to get women to start smoking the company's biggest brand, Lucky Strikes. <gasps> hey, that worked out. I can out. crack that market. That worked out. Yeah, it did. It did. Right. That wor- Yes, spoilers. This plan <laughs> works like fucking gangbusters. This works. <laughs> Now, at that point, only about 12% of cigarettes were consumed by women, which represented a huge surge in lady smoking from, like, the way things had been in the 1890s, but wasn't nearly enough to make big tobacco happy. 
Hill hit upon a brilliant theory. Since being skinny had just come into vogue, if he could convince women that cigarettes would help them lose weight, he could get them super fucking addicted to tobacco. Ah, uh, yes. So a myth Hill that came up with the slogan on his own. Oh, yeah, 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 it really does. And Hill came up with the slogan, reach for a lucky instead of a sweet, which is a solid slogan. Okay, uh, but he's a feminist, though. <laughs> yeah, he's a feminist. He is not intersectional. Now, Hill knew that he was going to need the talents of the world's greatest ad man to make this slogan work. Don Quote Draper. from the father of spin. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of who Don Draper is kind of based on, Edward Bernays. Except um, without the whole square head thing. Yeah, except for much better looking. Although yeah. they both do have giant heads. They, does John Hamm have a big old head? Yeah, yeah John, I, I've seen John Hamm, and he has a very large head. Nice. Uh, very good looking guy, but huge head. Well, that's isn't that like there's something about humans that are like they find big heads cute, and that's why the Powerpuff Girls look that way. I'm not. I'm not yeah. crazy here. I there's there. It's the same reason we find babies cute because their heads right. are big for their bodies. It's like kittens around. and puppies too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. Yeah. I like a big We're head. I don't like it. a cube head. So yeah, uh, Hill had this idea for like an ad campaign, reach for lucky instead of a sweet, uh, and he contracted with Edward Bernays to make the idea work. So I'm going to quote again from the father of Spen. Bernays launched the campaign against sweets with his tried and true tactic of enlisting experts, in this case convincing Nicholas Murray, a photographer friend, to ask other photographers and artists to sing the praises of the thin. I have come to the conclusion, Murray wrote, that the slender woman who, combining suppleness with grace and grace with slenderness, who instead of overeating sweets and desserts, lights a cigarette, as the advertisements say, has created a new standard of female loveliness. I'm interested in knowing if my own judgment concurs with that of others and should be most happy to have your opinion on the subject. Magazines and newspapers were also furnished with the latest findings on the Get Thin trend. For fashion editors, that meant photo after photo of slender Parisian models in haute couture dresses. For news editors, it meant testimonials like the one from the former chief of the British Association of Medical Officers of Health, warning that sweets cause tooth decay, and advising the correct way to finish a meal is with fruit, coffee, and a cigarette. The fruit, Dr. George F. Buchan continued, hardens the gums and cleans the teeth. The coffee stimulates the flow of saliva in the mouth and acts as a mouthwash. While finally the cigarette disinfects the mouth and soothes the nerves. Jesus, <laughs> cigarettes are dental. They're that's. I the, you learn a lot from the twenties by knowing people were told coffee is a mouthwash and cigarettes clean your teeth, and we're like, oh, all right. <laughs> There is a part of me that's like, uh, I would like to live in that world for like a a day. It would be nice. It's like. Everyone was living in a Kesha song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so, oh, yeah, that's, that's psychotic. That I mean, it, yeah. it is crazy how, I mean, making cigarettes look feminine is, it's such like an advertising hack job that was so effective. But it was like, that was still, my mom smoked cigarettes for chicks basically and my dad mm-hmm. smoked boy cigarettes like my dad did like winston's and my mom does misty menthol 120s because they're thin and sexy and there's a rainbow on the carton and that like it's it works i hate it it mm-hmm. works it super works it's the same reason why there's all these like uh like where they have male patterned baby wipes now. <laughs> like Yeah, like it's and it's uh god, I mean it's like becoming a little bit like more controversial to still be like 
arbitrarily gendering stuff like that, but yeah. it is crazy how like how recently it was so egregious uh, of just like this one's for you chicks should, and this is how you know. If you ever want a really fun trip down an advertising rabbit hole, look at all of the different handguns that are aimed like marketed towards women. Uh like car and stuff, like their lady gun ads are it's oh my fucking God. great. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Guns for like anything for for yeah. the gals is yeah. just guns for gals. Guns for gals. We gotta protect ourselves too, ladies. But look at mm-hmm. like this pink trigger. <laughs> like it's well, it's 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 less. I mean, you do see some of that. Mostly, it's like le- gals. We know you all want to carry the biggest gun available, but you don't want to ruin the lining of your yoga pants. So like, here's <laughs> yoga pants that are built to carry a gun, or here's like a gun that's designed to like go with the contours of feminine like <laughs> like fashion. It's really. That is so. How can I pack a piece and still look hot? And still look demure. Have yeah, to. it's. Oh, there's. It's I, there's, fucking great. There are these new things. I actually like these, but they're they sell them at like War, uh, Walmart and Target and <laughs> Warget. Um, mm-hmm. But they're these panic alarms to carry around in case someone tries to attack you in the night. But they just look like, like heart keychains, and they're advertised with like. If you ever need to make a big scene, girls, this is the accessory to have. And it is basically a very small taser. Oh, that's amazing. But it just yeah, says, make a big it. scene. <sighs> it's beautiful. And it all comes descended from the mind of Eddie Bernays. Cool. So in his quest to get more women smoking, he went directly to hotels and restaurants and encouraged them to add cigarettes to their dessert offerings. He oversaw print ads like this beautiful piece of propaganda I'm going to have Sophie show you. Uh, it, it says on the top. Wow. Well, actually, Jamie, why don't you why don't you describe that ad for our listeners? OK, so in a, in, in a nice little serif font at the top it says to keep a slender figure, no one can deny. And then it's a horny looking woman. And then it says, mm-hmm. reach for a lucky instead of a sweet. And then, and then it says the thing that we all know from the Mad Men episode, which is it's toasted. It's no throat irritation, no cough. Yeah. Oh my God. There mm-hmm. I mean, and they were right. And <laughs> they were right. This is such a weird yeah, this and, and were these the first advertisements of their kind? Yeah, this is really the first guy to start pushing this in a big way. Like obviously there'd been products advertised for women before. Right. But not like this. No one had thought of taking something that was a mass product and then specifically gendering it in order to sell more of them to a specific gender. Right. Um yeah, like the Bernays is the fucking king of that. Uh he he's he's the the real trailblazer there. He's using his so, feminism for evil. Yes, exactly. The Bernays office sent out a series of suggested menus to restaurants arranged to save you from the dangers of overeating. Inevitably, the after-dinner menus advised reach for a cigarette instead of dessert. Bernays pushed articles that advised wives to hire cabinet makers to add in special cigarette holders next to the flour and sugar holders. He sat down with home ec textbook writers to stress the importance of cigarettes in homemaking, just as the young and inexperienced housewife is cautioned not to let her supplies of sugar or salt or tea or coffee run low, so should she be advised that the same holds true of cigarettes no i i desperately want a house with a cigarette holder built into the cabinets i will start smoking just to be able to use that that sounds fucking awesome there i mean (laughs) the way it's crazy to think of that but it's like there yeah like cigarette use used to be like kind of a given and like built into it's still kind of like built into cars and just like became 
it's I, if I you want to know what it was like menthols. if you want to know what it was like to grow up in the 20s in america go take a vacation to serbia because they all still like you'll you'll have waiters walk to your table with a plate full of food with a cigarette in their mouth <laughs> like it's it's so fucking crazy <laughs> Like, they still smoke that way over there, and it's uh, it's amazing. <laughs> like, why not? It really, yeah, it really takes you back. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's retro, Robert. It's retro, and they have uh, nightmarish rates of cancer. But no way, I, I don't think anyone gives a shit. It's Serbia, man. Like <laughs> they've been through worse. <laughs> it's <laughs> that's the national slogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You notice that the places where like. Uh, shit has gotten real most recently are the places where no one cares that cigarettes are bad for you. Like, everybody smokes in Iraq, and it's like, why am I going to give a shit about lung cancer? Like, have you seen what's going on here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now, Jamie, have you ever heard the phrase, a moment on the lips and, uh, and a lifetime on the hips? Ew, no. What? You, you've never heard that? Ew, I guess, okay, so mean? for a couple of articles I wrote years ago, I spent several weeks in pro-anorexia chat rooms just like listening to the conversations pro-anorexia people would have with each other about how to be anorexic better and you run into that quote all of the fucking time it is very common i kept my anorexia Um, off offline which is that's good yeah that's good yeah yeah yeah. it exists i I did the same with in journals yeah yeah i i'm glad that i did the same with my eating disorder otherwise it would have been a real problem brave um or more of a real problem than it was uh yeah but that phrase a moment on the lips a lifetime of the hips uh that anthem of anorexia originates from a quote cooked up by edward bernays his version of course was a moment in the mouth and 10 years on the hips um which i guess is less extreme than the way the quote yeah a moment in the mouth and 10 years on the hips Mm -hmm. it's a good line It's a good line. Uh, He got that line published in pieces in The New Yorker, Life, and other magazines right next to cigarette ads. Now, at this moment in the late 1920s, most of the resistance to Bernays' tactics came from the fact that he was hurting the candy industry, not that he was, you know, encouraging horrible rates of cancer. Representatives of the sugar industry in particular were livid, which prompted Bernays to respond in a letter that, quote, a battle carried on fairly in this manner can serve the public in presenting both sides of a discussable question and in bringing the underlying democratic principle of free competition fairly to the front. Which really, that says a lot about capitalism right there. He's like, no, we need a fair discussion should you eat a shitload of sugar or should you smoke cigarettes every 10 seconds that's the question right not like are both of these things bad <laughs> like should no, we be doing either it's just like which is yeah. the more profitable right now yeah which poison will sell better is right. the is the question we need to have a free and open discussion about i mean it's, um, it is crazy to me that he was able to convince people that cigarettes are more fun than eating garbage because i just yeah. patently disagree yeah, it's incredible. Like, yeah. that is an achievement right there. I like how now, cigarettes were but, like, they're like, oh, no, this is how you make friends. You're like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, this is how you get men to like you, ladies. Smoke a lucky strike. <laughs> but December of 1928, the first year of Eddie's pro-cigarette campaign, American Tobacco's revenue grew by $32 million, which $32 million in 1928 money is equivalent to roughly every dollar in 2019 money. Yeah. Most of that additional sales uh, came, of course, from the increase in sales for Lucky Strike. So this is almost all attributable to Bernays' ad campaign. 
And of course, Edward Bernays had no issue in capitalizing off of the women's liberation movement to sell cigarettes. Since cigarette smoking came into vogue right around the same time women got the right to vote, Bernays tied the two together, running ads suggesting that emancipated women ought to smoke cigarettes. He took advantage of his famous uncle, hiring the psychoanalyst Dr. A.A. Brill, who had studied under Sigmund Freud, and paying him to consult on his ad campaign. Brill wrote, quote, It's perfectly normal for women to want to smoke cigarettes. The emancipation of women has suppressed many of their feminine desires. More women now do the same work as men do. Many women bear no children. Those who do bear children have fewer children. Feminine traits are masked. Cigarettes, which are equated with men, become torches of freedom. Oh, this, I, it makes total sense that this works. It makes total sense <laughs> yeah, that this it, works. It's, because wildly like, oh, women successful. Can, women can do anything that men do, include accidentally killing themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, include include poisoning themselves with tobacco. Yes. Uh, I t- yeah, I get it. That's well, I you know, you got me. Mm-hmm. That's why you all got of me. our great aunts are dead. Wow. Okay. That line from Dr. Brill, Torches of Freedom, inspired Edward Bernays to create what some people call the first modern PR campaign in history. That might be overselling a little bit, a little bit, but it was very influential. Bernays okay. decided that American tobacco should pick out a handful of stylish young ladies with social cachet. You might call them influencers. influencers. Wow. Yeah, yeah, okay. he's that fucking guy. So he hires these ladies to show up at the 1929 Easter Sunday Parade in New York and walk (laughs) around smoking their cigarettes flagrantly in public as a protest against women's inequality. He's like, Bella Thorne, get over here. We're smoking cigarettes now. Yeah. Wow. We're smoking cigarettes out on the street. So his office put out a press release, which they disguised as a message from one of the lady activists organizing the event, but was, of course, sure. actually written by Edward Bernays and his his colleagues. From Quote, Emily Radikowski. In the interest... Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the interest of equality of the sexes and to fight another sex taboo, I and other young women will light another torch of freedom by smoking cigarettes while strolling on Fifth Avenue Easter Sunday. We are doing this to combat the silly prejudice that the cigarette is suitable for the home, the restaurant, the taxi cab, the theater, lobby, but never, no, never for the sidewalk. Women smokers and their escorts will stroll from 48th Street to 54th Street on Fifth Avenue between 1130 and 1 o'clock. So Ain't they did. Capitalism, a motherfucker. This is it like really is. jeweling for like pro-choice. Justice. This is psycho. This is okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I understand why this worked. Yeah, yeah. Now, the event received massive newspaper coverage and was one of the biggest stories in the country for days, even though only 10 women actually showed up to march. Here's an <laughs> example of how a local New York paper covered the event. Quote, I'm going to try to do my best New York old-timey journalist accent here so go for it just as miss frederica frailinghausen conspicuous in a tailored outfit of dark gray pushed her way through the jam in front of saint patrick's miss bertha hunt and six colleagues struck another blow on behalf of the liberty of women down fifth avenue they strolled puffing at cigarettes miss hunt issued the following communique from the smoke-clouded battlefield i hope that we have started something and that these torches of freedom with no particular brand favored will smash the discriminatory taboo on cigarettes for women and that our sex will go on breaking down all discriminations Wow. Was that good? Yes, that was beautiful. I'm also imagining all the women that are advertising this being forced to act like sexy babies in the way that women in advertising were at this time and still are but in a different way where they're just like who me smoke a cigarette like they're like the sexy the the freaky sexy baby trope that I love and wish I could do myself. I think this was more like the boundary breaking 
provocative flapper girl sort of thing. Yeah, but, uh, they all acted yeah, like that, little babies. That, well, I don't, like, I don't know. I'm a baby, but you can have sex with me. That's the twist. I, I get the... I get the idea that they were more uh, uh, acting like, um, you know, like the stereotype of like the feminist college student in that early episode of The Simpsons where uh, mm-hmm. where Homer grabs the candy off that lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're acting more like that. Um, okay. But that's just the impression I get from like the quotes in the newspapers and stuff. I don't know what voice they said them in. They're... They were all dressed. Yeah. <laughs> So to the nines. They're the flapper. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the flapper and the cigarette are, makes sense. Yeah, very entwined. Yeah. So Eddie's secretary, Bertha, was one of the marchers in the Torches of Freedom rally. She gave quotes to numerous newspapers and told the New York Evening World that she first got the idea for this campaign when a man with her in the street asked her to extinguish her cigarette as it embarrassed him. I talked it over with my friends, and we decided it was high time something was done about the situation. Uh, Bertha denied being associated with any ad firm or agency in interviews, uh, which was, of course, patently false because she worked directly for Edward Bernays. Right. The Torches of Freedom campaign was an influential moment in PR history. Bernays would, in true fashion, go on to massively oversell the impact it had on national smoking habits. Uh, Later academic work suggests that it alone was not responsible for making women feel okay with smoking cigarettes. But it's pretty much beyond debate to say that Bernays' overall impact on the tobacco industry was enormous and groundbreaking. Before mm-hmm. Edward Bernays, women who smoked were seen as whores, trollops, and criminals. After Edward, fucking everybody smoked. Observing the change he had wrought later in life, Edward wrote... Age-old customs, I learned, could be broken down by a dramatic appeal disseminated by a network of the media. Which is true. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to quantify the exact cost in public health of Bernays's tobacco marketing innovation. Okay. I found a 1999 article in the British Medical Journal that credited Bernays with a formative role in marketing tobacco with, to women and noted, quote, The World Health Organization estimates that the number of women smoking will trip almost triple over the next generation to more than 500 million uh, World Health Jesus. Organization, 1999. Of these, more than 200 million will die prematurely from smoking-related diseases. Mm-hmm. So, sizable body count that he's a part of here. So how are we now, feeling about the feminist icon label at this point? <laughs> definitely a feminist icon, but I think we can agree that icon is not an inherently positive term. They definitely had an impact on the lives of women. That's my yeah. spin. Very impactful now, in women's history. I got to say, to be fair, contributing to 200 million smoking deaths via marketing would not necessarily make Bernays a bastard because you have to consider someone's actions based on what they and the medical community knew about cigarettes at the time. Like if I sell my listeners belts and then 20 years later, scientists realize that belts cause aggressive waste cancer. It's not your fault. I can't be blamed for that. Right. But if Sophie had handed me right before reading that ad pieces of a study that suggested that belts might cause aggressive waste cancer and, and then I covered it. that study up then I would be a bastard you're complicit um, yes. so this leads me to the question what precisely did Eddie Bernays know about the health consequences of smoking in the 20s and 30s well for one thing it's worth noting noting that unlike Don Draper Edward Bernays did not smoke tobacco himself he hated the taste and ironically preferred chocolates now 
first off, this guy's, yeah, not comfortable smoking himself. Uh, for another thing, Edward Bernays had to bribe medical experts to brag about the supposed health benefits of smoking. It was obvious, even to people in the 20s, that cigarettes were bad for your throat. People got smoker's coughs then, as they do now. To combat this obvious fact of reality, Bernays created the Tobacco Society for Voice Culture, whose goal was to improve the cords of the throat through cigarette smoking that the public will be able to express itself in songs of praise or more easily to swallow anything. Society's ultimate goal was to provide what they called a smoking teacher for every singer. Now, you could argue that Bernays didn't have much data on the health effect of cigarettes, but again, it was obvious to people that, you know, cigarettes had harmful effects on your throat. And Bernays spent a lot of his career finding ways to get people to deny this evidence of their senses. One way he did this was by finding ways he could market specific products in a way that seemed to encourage public health. When he was hired by Cremo Cigars to improve their image, he suggested they launch an anti-spitting campaign and basically focus on improving (laughs) hygiene through stopping people from spitting to kind of cover up the fact that cigarettes are obviously bad for your health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, By the early 1930s, a scientific study revealed that a rabbit exposed to tobacco for three years had developed a carcinoma. The study stated for the first time that tobacco had cancer-producing properties. Now, this is in the 1930s, about 60 years before this information is common knowledge. And then how, One long, of the few has people, he, how long has he been pushing cigarettes, or is this pre-him pushing cigarettes? What oh, this is he while pushing he's pushing cigarettes. It's in the middle of it. Okay. He starts pushing cigarettes in the late 20s, but right. this is like he becomes aware of this data in the middle of his time in the tobacco industry. Okay. And in May of 1933, he attached an abstract of the study to a letter he sent to one of American Tobacco's executives. He wrote, oh as you will see, certain of the material in these articles is unfavorable to tobacco. However, I do not feel that there is anything immediate to be done. I do feel that serious attention should be given to the problem of having ready a strong offensive in case the press should give prominence to the recurring articles which I note from time to time on the relationship of smoking and carcinoma. I believe that the American Tobacco Company and the tobacco interest generally should be fully prepared with authentic information if, as when, the need for such information occurs. Hmm. So Edward Bernays knows that cigarettes are associated with cancer, and his first step when he becomes aware of that is to send warning to the company hiring him that they should have a counteroffensive ready in case newspapers pick up the story. Okay, so he's um, fully a bastard. Which to me... Yeah. He's he's fully a bastard. And further evidence of that is that he was deeply concerned about the health impact smoking would have on his wife, Doris. She was a pack-a-day smoker, and Eddie needled her about her habit until she quit. Their oldest daughter, Doris, later recalled to author Larry Ty, he used to hide my mother's cigarettes and make us hide the cigarettes. He didn't think they were good for mother. His daughter, Anne, added, he'd pull them all out and just snap them like bones. Just snap them in half and throw them in the toilet. He hated her smoking. So Edward Bernays, while he is getting America hooked on cigarettes, is committed to stopping his wife from smoking because he knows they're going to kill her and he loves his wife. Okay, so yeah, this I mean, this is like basic Game of Thrones logic of just like if the person is not willing to drink their own wine, do not purchase that wine. You goofus. It's poison. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, he's bad. Just started watching Game of Thrones, didn't you, Jamie? I started watching the Throne Game. You did. There, I. You y- did watch the Throne Games. And now I'm smart. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yep, 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 yep. It's a good show. It's fine. Whatever. I like. Uh, I like the guy who says the things. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I like the guy with so the hair. yeah, that's that's part one of our story. Oh yeah, the guy with the hair is fucking hot as hell. Yeah. Uh, I mean Jamie Lannister. Whoo boy. Love I would, him. Uh, 
Let's let's just say I would light that torch of freedom. Wow. That doesn't really actually tie in to to the context of how that was used, but No, you had you had set him on fire. Yeah, I'd set him on fire. <laughs> That's what I do. That's how I flirt. Classic is fire. Yep, 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 yep. So, uh, that's part one. Uh, I think we should all be clear on Eddie Bernays is a bastard now. He got America hooked on cigarettes after he knew that they were killing people. So, there we go. Uh, how do you feel after this after this episode about our uh, unheralded founding father, Edward Bernays? He seems more complicated than your average bastard. I, it, I hate, He is, he is. I hate when the bastards do something good every once in a while. It makes my life harder. Yeah. Rationalizing. He's really complicated. Hard. Yeah. He's not your Hitler or your Saddam. Um, yeah. Because he does do some good stuff. He has he clearly has some good impulses behind him, too. Yeah. But also, he also gets people hooked on cigarettes when he knows it's going to give him cancer. Just um, classically cartoon villain. Yeah. This is yeah, a, he, yeah. He's a challenging one. I'm, I'm uh, stressed out by this. Well, you're going to be even more stressed out in part two, because in wow. part two, we're going to talk about how Edward Bernays popularized bacon, inspired the Nazis, <laughs> and helped launch a brutal 40-year civil war in Guatemala. But it, so, Okay, great. Quite a career this fellow had. <laughs> Why did he live so long? Why he lived for fucking he ever? Lived so uh, it's, long. Yeah, he really would not die. Like, it's like your wife dies in 1980. Take the hint, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> like, but no. Jeez. Hints well, are not something Edward Bernays takes. I wish he he had smoked. Yeah. So do I. Yep. Well, Jamie, do you have any pluggables to plug? Uh, yeah, let me plug ye, uh, let's see, uh, you can listen to the Bechdel cast, my podcast with Caitlin Durante every Thursday, uh, you can, you can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Loftus Help, or if you live in the UK, I'll be at Edinburgh Fringe Festival, uh, all August. And you can find me on Twitter at IWriteOkay. You can find this podcast on the internet at BehindTheBastards.com, where we will have all of these sources for this uh, episode, including the wonderful book, The Father of Spin, which is a really good and balanced look at Bernays, although he comes to a bit more positive of a conclusion on the guy than uh, than we are in this episode. Um, and you can find uh, us on Twitter and Instagram uh, at, at @bastardspod. You can buy t-shirts at TeePublic, Behind the Bastards. You can also buy our branded Raytheon gear, including uh, guidance systems for your own missiles. If you want to build the missile yourself, but have you know Raytheon equipment, launch it into, say, an apartment building. Um, I do. You know, we all do. We all yeah. do. That's why Raytheon is such a good sponsor of this podcast. Yeah. So everybody have a good day. Go out into the world and remember the Raytheon company motto. Of, Fuck it. We make money either way. <laughs> <laughs> This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. 
If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.